So <clears throat> I was watching a, a, a TV one day, and then there was a, they were featuring this uh, particular type of chameleon. And so what it does is it's in a, in a, in a, a jungle. And then uh, when the guy was approaching this chameleon, um, the chameleon, and as he was getting closer, uh, you know, uh, on, the, on the chameleon, and when he reached out his hand over him, the chameleon, instead of running away, he would close his eye, right? And he was explaining that that's how chameleon deals with the, the danger that uh, it notices. So in chameleon's mind, if it just closes its eye, then the problem will go away, right? And that's a pretty, uh, you know, it just doesn't work like that, right? But you know, it's not just some animals who try to avoid danger or problem by turning a blind eye. Because don't we do that, don't we do that as well? Um, when there's a relationship issue with someone, whether it's a family member, coworker, a demanding boss, or a difficult client, at times, we just don't want to face it because at times it's just too complicated. It's just too painful to deal with some of the issues, relationship issues, right? We don't want to think about it because, because it gives you a headache and we just hope that it will simply somehow go away. If we just somehow ignore it, that somehow it will go away. Just because we want to avoid a reality does not mean that we are not going to face it. I remember, like, uh, just uh, this summer, you know, I went to went to Korea, and um, coming back, you know, I flew into uh, to Toronto first, and then had a layover, but then the, the flight got canceled and all that. It was just crazy this summer. But you know, soon as I got off the the plane, you know, the first thing I did was take my mask off, right? Because um, it was mandatory, because uh, it was a Canadian airline, and they were still saying, you have to wear And I was complaining, though. My gosh, it's like a you know, 12-hour like, flight, and I have to wear a mask, you know. And then I just, you know, kind of acted like, at that time, you know, COVID wasn't around. Like, I was like, I'm a typical American, right? I just take my, And so basically, all, I looked around, and basically, all the people that look American, they're the ones that were just taking the, the mask off, right? It's like, oh, right. Just because, um, you know, I kind of just ignore the problem doesn't mean that, you know, COVID isn't around. Sure enough, as soon as I got back, I had COVID, right? I had it pretty rough. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to spiritual reality, I think that really especially holds true just because we turn a blind eye or kind of try to ignore it or not think about it doesn't mean that it's, it's not there. The Word of God informs us that the true reality it's more than meets the eye, right? It really, it, it really does. I remember when I was in my first year in seminary, right? Uh, you would think that from the outside, just because I went to seminary and studying the Bible and all those things, that I would be doing spiritually well, but I wasn't. I really wasn't. I was struggling. And because I thought, you know, just uh, basically the, the, the Bible turned into uh, study material, Right, I had to just write tons of paper, and Pastor Jay would know like a lot of papers, a lot of like commentaries to read, and and the position papers, and all these things. So from the outside, from the out, outsiders, and even I thought that I was doing pretty well, right? But the reality was, 
I was not, I was not walking with the Lord. I wasn't really praying. I was like, I mean, I'd rather just like write more papers on this or read more, read up on more, more of this commentaries and Christian books and all those things. But the true reality was for me spiritually at the time, I wasn't doing well. The people at church, people, my friends may have thought that I was doing well because I was studying, right? I was in seminary. But that's, that wasn't the reality. And this story of this rich man and Lazarus reminds us of this inescapable reality. And it is a parable where Jesus reveals the truth about what is to come. Uh, many of us may have heard about uh, what happened, the tragedy that happened uh, in, in South Korea last week. Um, I mean, just, uh, it's just shocking to, to hear what happened, right? With all those people, over 150 people uh, dying. Um, I, even this su- summer, you know, I was there at Itaewon, right? Uh, having a meal with, uh, with someone. And, um, and it really just reminds us of the gravity and the fragility of life, right? How brief, how short, and how fleeting this life really is, if you think about it, right? And how fragile it is. I mean, who would have thought that going to a Halloween festival in costumes that evening would be their last trip, right? Who would have thought how vulnerable our life is? I mean, for, I mean, except for maybe just uh, me and PJ, you know, you guys are not over the hill yet, so you may not really think about this reality, but, you know, it's, it's really, we are really vulnerable, right? So I think a lot of people that were there too, a lot of people, young people. And so this, and so there, in, in this parable, uh, there are a couple of things that I wanted to bring out and what it's saying here. And the first thing is the great reversal, right? The great reversal. Um, you know, some people, some people believe in reincarnation, right? It's this, uh, this philosophy or the worldview uh, where you will be reborn into a different living form. So your essence, living essence, is still there, but you may just, in a next, li- next life, you may just born into a different form. And so if you just follow this worldview, if it, co- it really comes down to the cyclical, right, worldview. There is no end. There is no... There is no beginning, there is no end, right? It just constantly goes on. You keep just being reborn, born into a different living form. You could be born into a, a, another human uh, or uh, an animal, an insect, what have you. And it is unbiblical, right? Because the Bible tells us that it is, life is linear, right? There is, especially in this world, there is a beginning and there is an end. In the beginning, God created and there is an end to this uh, to our life. And others believe that we will go to we all will go to a better place. It is a secular version, secular vision of heaven without God. Right? Some people, they they, it's a wishful thinking. After we die, nobody knows what's going to happen to the people who die. So they say, oh, we are all going to to heaven. Right? We all are. We're just going to be there, and then the deceased. They're looking down on us right now. They're just smiling. You know, they're really proud of us, right? So that's what some people believe. Still others believe that there is really nothing else beyond, uh, beyond the grave. Once, you're di- once you die, that's it. Nothing else, right? So YOLO, right? 
you just live only once, and you just kind of live your life, uh, life to the fullest here and enjoy your life, you know, just please yourself and do whatever feels right to you because once you die, there's nothing else after that. What 70, 80, 90 years that you have, some shorter, longer, right? You have to really maximize what this life offers you and what this world offers you. And all these widely held views are contrary to the scripture's teaching. Jesus tells us that there is afterlife, life, that, uh, life after this one, and there will be accountability, and there will be divine judgment. Here, the rich man lived like a rock star. Right? He was clothed in purple and fine linen. It's almost like, I don't know, I'm not really into like clothes, as you can tell. Like, you know, maybe like wearing like Prada or something like that. The devil wears a product, right? Kind of thing. Um, and so, and he had sumptuous feasts all the time. But he's, he used his wealth only to please himself and to maintain his extravagant, extravagant lifestyle. I mean, for him to just have that sumptuous feast every day, right? I mean, he was a pretty rich guy, but it was only for himself. He didn't use it to care for the poor and the needy, evidenced by Lazarus at his gate. Well, Lazarus is actually the only character, and um, it's the only character given a name in all of Jesus' parables. No other parables of Jesus has any specific name, but here he, call, he actually names him Lazarus. And Lazarus desired to be fed by what fell from the rich man's table, but he was routinely igno- ignored, and he starved. And, you know, to, to add, you know, uh, insult to injury, right, he was covered with sores. I don't know, like, um, I hear, like, shingles are pretty bad, right? But I'm just assuming this is really, really bad, too, maybe worse than shingles, right? Um, and also, even the dogs. And we're not talking about, like, pet dogs from the, from, from the, the rich men, but it's referring to wild dogs, right? The wild dogs who would just come and lick on his sores. He was in really a desperate situation, and yet it was not the rich man's concern. He didn't really care for this guy, this beggar. Lazarus had nothing but misery and suffering. When death came to both men, however, it changed everything. Right? There, was a, there was a complete reversal. And in, that, in other words, what happens after death is not a simple continuation of life here. It really isn't. It's not the same thing just going, it's just transferring over from how it was here to the next life. Jesus is saying that it will be a day of reckoning for a lot of people. Here, uh, Jesus says nothing about the spiritual condition of either character, but it is implied that Lazarus was right with God whereas the rich man was not. I mean, when you look at uh, even the short story, his selfishness and lack of concern for other people kind of suggested, suggests his spiritual plight. He really didn't care for any, any, anyone else. Now, here, we have to be careful when we talk about like reversal and all this. Jesus is not saying that your socioeconomic status in this world or your race will automatically give you salvation, right? 
if you are poor, if you are the oppressed, then Jesus will save you, right? I mean, that's like liberation uh, theology and all these things, right? That's not what Jesus is saying, right? In the end, what really matters is our relationship with Christ, the faith that we have. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, we have to give an account of our lives. I mean, you know, we talk about accountability at work, right? Talk about the accountability in the, in the government, accountability with each other. But it will be nothing like our accountability before God because he knows everything. Even our thoughts, intentions, our motives, and no one else may know but me or just us inside. Because we can act in a certain way, but we may have ulterior motives. We may have some thoughts that we may easily hide because no one else can read our minds. Maybe your spouses can, but, uh, but God, he knows everything, and he has seen everything, everything that we have done, thought, even in secret. So it's a sobering thought, but at the same time, there is also hope and comfort. You don't need to dread the day of the Lord. Because what we see here in this passage is the contrast between Lazarus and the rich man. Right? Lazarus after death. In verse 23, uh, the rich man um, in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Lazarus, because he was right with God, because he knew God. He was by his side. And also in verse 25, he was comforted. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember, uh, speaking to the rich man, remember that you, uh, you in your lifetime received your, your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, right? and you are in anguish. That there is comfort. For those of us who know Christ, for those of us who know him, we have nothing to fear because as the scripture says, he is for us, not against us. Our position before him, uh, the base assumption and the base uh, position is that God is for us and not against us. Jesus said, he's going back to the Father to prepare a place for us. And that's what he promised. And it is comforting to know that even though we lack, uh, we fall short, we stumble at times, that he, is, he has gone back to the Father. And one of the things that he does is that he is preparing a place for us who are his. So think about it. Without any hindrance, any discord, any brokenness that we experience all the time from sin in our lives, right? that when we get there, right, we will be removed from all the things that will impede us from approaching God, 
we would have the new resurrection body, right? Unlike anything that we are subjected to at this at the moment, you know, like for me, like every time I go play Wednesday, you know, like the volleyball or just whatever sports that I do, I'm like, the, afterwards I'm like ailing. I'm like, I'm so old, right? I can't even jump. I can't do anything, right? I have to just pop in pills left and right because I know I'm getting old, right? The wrinkles everywhere, um, all these things. But in that time, when that time comes, right, the Bible promises and tells us that we will have a imperishable body. Right? And when not only that our resu- uh, the body will be resurrection body, but we will be in the very presence of God. Because God cannot be present with sin and evil for us to, access, uh, to, to go before him. Our body, when it changes, that it will be, we are no longer subject, not only from the penalty and power of sin, but the presence of sin. Right? And we will bask in his glory. So think about just think think about it for a moment. Even though we are frustrated with all the limitations, all the difficulties and struggles in this world, at times, you know, we know what to do, and yet, you know, our weak flesh, you know, tells us and just we fall into different temptations and do different things that we we may not be proud of. But at that time, on that day, we will no longer, we, don't, we won't even know what it is like. Right now we have no idea, and I have no idea what it is like to be even without sin because sin is always with us. But that, at that time, we're not even have, we're not even experience the presence, what it is like to be affected or tainted by sin, right? And all we do, we will bask in his glory. That we may think, okay, for all eternity, how can we possibly worship God? I mean, wouldn't that just kind of after a while just, you know, it would be the same thing? Absolutely not. Because his glory is so much greater, so infinite, that we'll forever and ever, we'll bask in his glory. And that is the encouragement and the hope that we have for those of us who belong to Christ. And how we should long for that day when we enter into that eternal rest and glory. You know, there are people who <clears throat> uh, talk about, like, I don't know if you guys ever just read some people talking about near-death experience, how, like, some people, I just read a couple people's, like, account, and they say, oh, yeah, I've, you know, they were just, as they thought they were dying, and then all of a sudden they just found themselves kind of, like floating out of their body, and then like they are looking at the people that are trying to, uh, uh, you know, just revive him or things like that, and then they are just drawn into this like tunnel, right? It's like a long tunnel, and then there's at the end is like a really bright light, right? Oh. But then somehow they were brought back to life, right? People talk about near death experience, and, and a lot of them they talk about this like long tunnel, and then but then at the end of the tunnel, it's this bright light, right? But we don't even have to, and we don't need to rely on those to know that there is the reality of heaven and hell. There is. So the rich man here ends up in Hades, and the, the usual Greek word here, name, the, the, the Hades, is, is really the, the place of the dead. But here, it's clearly a place of torment, Described as a place of flame with tremendous suffering. 
And while in torment, he looks up, and to his utter surprise, you know, the rich man notices Lazarus right by Father Abraham. So he asks Abraham, right? And verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So even in Hades, the rich man, as he showed in his life, he's pretty arrogant, right? Thinking that he could order Lazarus around. After all, Lazarus was a nobody in this world. He was begging at his gate, lower than his own servants while he was alive. So he thought he could just, hey, Father, can you just like ask, I wouldn't dare to ask you, but I see Lazarus right by your side, right? He's so close to you. Tell him, order him to dip his, at the end of his finger in water so that he can just come over and just cool my tongue because in this flame, I am suffering so much. But what he didn't get is that there is a whole new order unlike anything in this world. And the world that he came from, this present life, his wealth, his power, got him status and comfort. But he failed to realize that not in the world to come. What mattered in this world will not matter in the life to come. What was considered important and meaningful in this world is no longer uh, so in the world to come. And what was despised and um, disregarded, such as you know, being devoted and devoted to Christ, following scripture, you know, scriptural uh, principles, all these things. What was scoffed at in this world? Because if you try to live according to the word of God, right, people around you will scoff at you. They will say, you, you know, just religious freak, right? Those things become what truly matters. So that's what I mean by the great reversal. That what, what is considered precious and important in this life is no longer important. And it's the flip, the script is flipping. Elon Musk's of the world or Joe Biden's of the world have no claim in the world to come. You know, what are they striving for in this, in this world? Do you deep down what you really want is financial stability? Maybe a comfortable life, success of your children? All of that will not really last. It will not, in the end, matter in the world to come. You know, about a year ago, um, you know, when the the cryptocurrency was like all the rage, everybody was talking about, I I still don't really understand how that the whole thing really works. but, you know, like, I remember uh, watching TV and Matt Damon, right, would come out. And he, he gave, like, really awe-inspiring, like, you know, this uh, ad about, like, uh, the fortune favors the bold or the brave, whatever, right? He just, like, and it makes you want to, like, when I was watching, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, maybe I should just get into this thing, right? Because it was just going up and up and up and up, right? All these cryptocurrencies. And that's what everybody was talking about, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, the fortune really favors the bold or the brave, right? I should be one of them, right? 
What, had, what happens? I, I'm sorry, not, not to like really like rub it on any, anyone, if, if you invested in it. Um, but, you know, you just don't know, right? Um, whatever that you are really striving for in this world, whatever you consider to be so important, non-negotiable in this world, will not matter in the world to come. The afterlife, where that really, what really truly matters is if you have the genuine faith, uh, saving faith in Christ Jesus, the living faith that transforms, transforms you, that leads to uh, living a life that is pleasing to God. That's what truly matters. The faith, genuine faith, not just a head uh, knowledge or an intellectual set that Jesus is the Son of God. What really matters is, is your faith that you profess is that really changing and transforming your life, the way you live? Are you living a life in accordance with the word of God? Are you producing the fruit of the spirit in your life? Here, Father Abraham says to the rich man, you received your good things, right? Meaning you received what you saw as good things in this life. Because for, for this guy, it was comfort, it was wealth, physical pleasures, all these things. He believed that these are the good things in this life. And you, he worked for it. He invested whatever he did. And he got what he, what, he, what he wanted and what he considered to be good. He didn't care for things of God. And, and you know, Father Abraham continues to say, you know, a great chasm separates them. And no one can cross. So what Jesus is saying is there is no second chance. Once your life is over. That this is it. There is no going back. There is no second act. This world is not our home. And yet so many people make it their home. They invest everything in this world as if This is all we have. This is all there is to it. But there is life after death. And we will encounter God face to face and give account to how we lived our lives. There will be a great reversal. Whatever we considered, whatever we truly invested in in this world, what we thought was the most precious, most valuable, it may not be at all in the life that truly matters. So that's the first thing that uh, Jesus really talks about in this parable, the, the great reversal that is, that is coming, and what are we going to do about it? And the second point, um, and I have only two points, so this is the last point, is the sufficiency of the testimony of the word. Yeah, the sufficiency of the testimony of the word. So when the rich man finally realizes that it is too late for him, that there is this great chasm and there's just no going back, right? And there's nothing he can do about it to change that. So for the first time, he thinks of someone else, right? It is still limited to his own family, but he's still thinking about somebody else. And he still thinks that Lazarus may be ordered to do what he's requesting, So in verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers. If I can't, I'm not, okay. So it's too late for me. But I still have five brothers who are alive. So that he may warn them, the Lazarus may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he says to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The rich man assumes that the appearance of Lazarus would be really effective. He's thinking, he's arguing with uh, Abraham. He's like, Bible? Forget it. They have not paid any attention to that. I mean, who does? But, Father Abraham, if a dead man comes back to life, then I know my brothers, they will surely listen. I mean, why wouldn't they? And to this reasoning, to this argument, which sounds plausible at first, Abraham says, no, it does not work that way. Jesus is saying that they already have, the brothers already have the all-sufficient witness of the word of God. Its powerful testimony tells them the true reality that awaits them. So Moses and the prophets, the scriptures, is sufficient So what he's saying is, if you reject the word, if you ignore the scriptures, then you are not going to accept or believe another witness, however sensational, however miraculous it may be. You really won't. You know, I hear people who say, let me see the miracle, right? I'm in this deep trouble right now, but if God just lets me out of this, right? If God would just somehow show himself up and delivers me, then I'm going to believe, right? Let a dead man rise and come back to life and tell me about what, the, what uh, it really is like. Then I will believe. Give me a miracle. Give me something that I can hold on to. Maybe, God, you should just, you know, appear before me right now, right? So that I can see your face and I can see what you look like physically, then I may believe. The reality is, if you cannot accept the testimony of the Bible, you are not going to accept the testimony of a person who comes back to life. You really won't. Even though you may think, people may think, people may argue that if something incredible thing happens to me, a miracle happens to me, then I will believe. Because the Pharisees and the religious establishment at that time did not accept the testimony of the word of God. They could not accept the resurrected resurrection of Christ. Because even the pagan Roman soldiers that were just keeping uh, at the tomb of Jesus, when the, the, the stone was rolled away and they, when they saw the angel, they were deathly terrified. And they just went and told the Pharisees and the, uh, and the, the high priests and all those. Did they believe, oh, wow, so Jesus actually, and I'm going to believe? They they didn't. Not their own uh, disciples, but the Roman soldiers told them what happened. 
and the truth about the resurrection of Christ, they would not believe, they would not accept the testimony. Sometimes people want this jaw-dropping experience, experiences more than the spiritual truth. What they're really looking for is the sensational religious experiences. But in the end, what Christ tells us is the testimony of the scriptures is all sufficient. What God has revealed to us in the word is sufficient for us to know his will and his plan, what he's thinking. Of course, he's not, he, you know, the scripture is not describing every possible scenario for us, right? It's not telling us, okay, uh, you know, this Wujin, you know, just on, on, on the day of November 6th, on 2022, this is what you are to do. There is no, you know, detailed uh, plan. The scripture does not address every possible story and narrative or tells us everything. But what it does is it is sufficient. It is enough for us to know who God is, what, are, what he is like, his attributes, his plan of salvation. How are we going to be saved from this misery? How are we going to be delivered? Right? And what's going to happen in the, in, in the future? What exactly will happen in the end? And all the things that are uh, really, that we truly need to know, the word of God testifies to it, right? It lets us know. And it is sufficient. If you cannot accept, if you cannot believe what the word of God says, that it doesn't matter. Even if we see someone who came, comes back to life, tells us the true reality We are not going to believe. People are not going to believe. Because God has already uh, revealed his will through his word. Would you receive its testimony and live according to what the scripture says? Because so often, we try to do things our way. And even though scripture says, this is the way, this is what pleases God, this is the will of God, this is what God is calling you to, but so often we say, no, I don't think so. I'd rather engage in porn. I'd rather just like watch this. I'd rather just play games. I'd rather do this and do that to gain the true joy. I'd rather just, you know, just do this. I'm going to take this job or do this to derive meaning in my life. Where the scripture says, no, seek me with all your heart so that you may find me, that you can have the true lasting joy that is not dependent on circumstances. So it is my prayer for all of us is to really just look to the Lord and understand whatever that we value, whatever we treasure in this world. It has to be according to what the scripture says. It has to be biblical. Otherwise, whatever that you stake your claim and whatever that you invest your life in, will not last. It will not be important in the afterlife. All the the effort, time, energy that you pour in right now in this world will not matter in the end unless you really just have that genuine faith in him.
and to live according to what is calling us to live. And believe that the testimony of the word is all sufficient. It is truly enough to guide us in our daily lives. Let's pray. So let's go before the Lord and just take a moment to um, examine and think about maybe what you really truly value. Um, maybe a good way to uh, recognize that is uh, the time uh, where you spend uh, your spare time or maybe your checkbook and see where you truly spend your money on. That will probably tell you it's a good indication of what you truly value, not with your lips, but with your checkbook and with your time, how it's spent, will tell you where you derive pleasure, meaning, and joy in this life. So let's examine how we are doing and to really recognize and to examine if we really accept the testimony of the word. Do we truly believe in what it's saying? Or are we living like uh, practically uh, atheists? So let's uh, just go before the Lord, examine our hearts, but to also look to him because there is comfort waiting for us. Even though we are lacking, we stumble and fall, but when we are right with God, there is an eternal rest, eternal glory waiting for us. Every one of us who belongs to Christ, every one of us who puts his or her trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, we will be his. And eternal glory is waiting for us. We will be comforted. God will be our side. And we will be with him for all eternity. So let's take comfort in the promise and the sure certainty that's waiting for us. Lord Father, we come before you, and um, Lord, we, uh, Lord we, we do 